Two Friends, Two Murders contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Nobody in an atmosphere like this has any contact with violence or walks in any fear. Except who knows what hides in the private jungle beyond any respectable door. And welcome back to Two Friends, Two Murders. I am Kylie. And I'm Aubrey. And this week we're talking about killers out of prison. Spooky. Spooky. Walking among us. Walking among us. You never know if you've met a killer or not. Oh yeah, they could be your neighbor. You never know. There should be a website that shows you where they're at. Just like it does with like if you're, you know, like just letting you know, hey, your neighbor could possibly have served time for murder. Do you, do they have that? Is that I don't a know. Thing? Like like a sex offenders thing, but for like murderers. Maybe, but if not, there should be one. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> so crazy. But I like, act- that's so weird to think that. Yeah, or like I always would think when I worked at Kmart and I like had to check a ton of people out. I'm always like, which one of you are murderers? That's because like, they I bet you are sketchy. Met one. Oh, I'm sure. Is that? I'm sure. But I actually got this theme. There's a new Netflix documentary called I Am a Killer Released. So there's two different kinds. There's I'm a Killer and then there's I'm a Killer Released. And it's actually about a guy who was on death row and ended up getting out of prison 30 years later. No way. Yeah, like, isn't that crazy? Someone who's on death row should not be released from prison. Did he get off on, like, a technicality or, like, was he, like, not, like, was he... Just 30 lives unjustly or something? No, I mean, everything, like, he admitted to committing the crime, like, everything was solid, but he was only on death row for, like, three or four years, and then they decided just to change his sentence to life in prison, but then he got paroled 30, after 30 years. What? Yeah, but if if you have some time, watch it. It's crazy. It's interesting to see not only, like, how he gets out, but how he copes with life after prison. Right, because so, that's like an insane adjustment going back yeah. into the real world. Yeah, exactly. So you guys will have to check it out. But um, huh. also, while I was doing my research, I found an article that was talking about how they're releasing prisoners because of COVID. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I know that they did it here in Utah, but it was like, obviously, like, no violent offenders. Yeah. And, like, Yep. So uh, it's, I don't know exactly what the criteria was, but yeah, I, I did hear that. Yeah, it's mainly people who have like misdemeanors or things like yeah. that. Um, but they ha- were letting people out of prison who were like six months from their parole date. But obviously killers and things like that, I don't think they are releasing them. But um, right. <laughs> they're just like, <laughs> they're like, listen, we don't have room for you. But Sorry, get out. in California yeah. alone, they've paroled like 8,000 prisoners just in July because of COVID. Yeah, that's insane. It's so crazy. I mean, I feel like a lot of 
yeah, I mean, depending on what the misdemeanor is, it's like, yeah, they they don't need to really be in there, but okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just a small life update before we jump into this week's theme. We will be having oh, yeah. one more episode this month, so not next week, but the following. Will, it will be posted. And then we'll be, be taking a small break until Halloween so that our dear Kylie can enjoy some time with her sweet baby. <laughs> yeah, it's coming for me. It's so. coming. So it will be the perfect time for you guys to get caught up on previous episodes. It'll only be like three or four weeks, but we'll continue to post on our social media and engage yes. with you guys. There just won't be any new episodes posted until Halloween. And in the meantime, if you guys ever hear about a murder or like a theme or think of a theme, like we always are open to different ideas of like what you'd like to hear and stuff like that. So feel free to still message us. We'll still be around. Yeah. Um, I'll just be, I'll just have a baby now too. So she she'll be our little mascot. Exactly. And we will post a picture of her and her cute little two friends, two murders onesie when she yeah. gets here. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to show you guys. It's going to be so cute. <laughs> but in the meantime catch up on some episodes and then let's come at you guys with a new episode of killers out of prison let's do it i think kylie's first today all right yeah i liked this theme too because like it's it's um generalized enough that you literally yeah. don't know what you're gonna get you yeah know, exactly like the stories are gonna yeah so um my story is about paul bernardo or nardo and carla homolka Otherwise known as the Barbie and Ken Killers of oh, Canada. Oh, I have not heard of this one. Huh? huh? I've never heard of this one. Yeah, I swear, like, a lot of people have been deemed the Barbie and Ken Killers, but this is, like, specifically Canada's. <laughs> this like, is Canada's. Case. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, okay, uh, let's get into it. So Carla Homolka was born on May 4th, 1970 in Canada. Her childhood was described as average plus. Her mother and father had a healthy marriage. They were relatively well off. Um, her dad was some kind of a sales associate and her mother worked as administrative assistant in their local hospital. She had two younger sisters named Lori and Tammy. Their family was popular, like well-liked within the community. Um, Carla was very much a princess. She was very into Disney characters and basically kind of thought of herself as a Disney princess. Okay. Or that's kind of, you know, how, how what she aspired to be, I guess. <laughs> um, she was very pretty, blonde hair, blue-eyed, super outgoing, strong-minded. Um, and then as she started to kind of grow up into her teenage years, she went on more of like a dark side. Okay. Her friends kind of described it like she just went from being this like peppy, popular, always having a date type girl to more like her interests became more like on the dark side of like magical and like spiritual things. Like she started to really get into seances All and right. like Ouija boards and just That's stuff a, like that, which, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, not not a big deal. But um, they were just surprised because that's just not the Carla they knew. Um, then things got a little weird when she started to seem obsessed with death. Um, for instance, she had this friend that told her, like, pet had recently died, and Carla made them go outside and dig up the pet's body because she just had to see it. What? Uh, I know. Can you imagine? You're, like, telling your friend, you're, like, your dog just died, and she's, like, let's go Let's see it. it. That's some pet cemetery shit. Like, no. Yeah. 
And, like, her friend was, like, protesting and, like, didn't want to do it. But, like, eventually Carla convinced her to because she was just so fascinated with the pet's death. What so the heck? Just some, there's, like, there's weird stuff going on, but, yeah. Um, so at this point, she is now 17, working at a veterinarian clinic. So go figure. And <laughs> she ended up going to this conference for work. And that's where she meets 23-year-old Paul Bernando who is training to be an accountant. Um, it was basically love at first sight. They, be quick, they quickly became obsessed with one another. Paul was like the exact type of guy that Carla had always wanted. She, she was actually also in this club in high school that like relished the idea of getting married to someone a little bit older, mm. someone rich and like scoring a big engagement ring. So like Paul just like checked off all her boxes. Mm. Gotcha. And so a little bit about Paul, he was born, so he's, like I said, he's a little bit older than her, but not by a crazy amount. He's only 23. He was born in 1964 in Scarborough, Canada, and he definitely had a different childhood than Carla. His parents were having marital issues, sleeping in different rooms. He had been caught uh, with voyeurship and peeping Tom and just kind of like other inappropriate things for his age, but... People had felt like he had outgrown these issues because he went on to join the Boy Scouts. He became a camp counselor. He was super popular, super handsome. He basically dated any girl that he wanted, and he just wasn't shy in the slightest. Um, He had quite the ego. Then at 16, his mother informs him that his father isn't actually his biological father, and he was the result of an affair. And after that, the relationship with his parents just completely deteriorates. Mm. He is super mad at them, and they're constantly fighting. His mother ends up referring to him as, like, a bastard child. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so it just got very messy and very hurtful. Um, It also turns out that that peeping Tom issue they thought he had grown out of, um, (laughs) yeah, actually, which, like, I don't, never mind, not even going to get there, but they (laughs) thought he just grew out of it, like, oh, you know, he's fine. It's just a stage. But he shared in common with his stepdad. So Ew. apparently he picked it up from him. Gross. And he was caught several times peering into neighbors' windows. And a lot of families didn't allow their kids to hang out with him or the family because of this. Well, makes sense. So, yeah, exactly. So he's just, he, he's got a bunch of stuff going on right now. And then things escalated quickly from this point, And he started to abuse and humiliate his girlfriends. And he would try to have increasingly increasingly violent sex with them, but most of his girlfriends rejected him until he met Carla. So <laughs> she would write him letters and stuff and just basically would say, like, you can do whatever you want for, to me. I'm down for whatever. Right. So they complete, like, she completely matched him with his sexual needs, and she basically, again, thought he was the perfect catch, called him her Prince Charming. All um, right. So they're just they're just like a little match made in heaven for each other right now. <laughs> I guess whatever. I get yeah, and then so all the while they're dating and becoming a serious couple, the area of Scarborough is being terrorized by this serial rapist. Oh boy! Um, it started uh, in 1986 and continued on from several years from there. The police were calling him the Scarborough uh, Rapist and had made several attempts to try and catch him, but they were unsuccessful. He was targeting young schoolgirls and women alone at night. The attacks also became increasingly more and more violent as they went on. 
So this guy would threaten women right from the start, and if they, like, threatening them that if they screamed, he would kill them. Yeah. After he raped them, he would put rocks or, like, sticks inside of them. Oh, my gosh. He... Yeah, he would pretend, like, after he had raped them, he would pretend like he left. And then as soon as the girl would get up to her feet to, like, you know, get the courage to yeah. go get help or whatever, then he would attack them again. That would be um, so scary to know that that's just walking around your neighborhood. Yeah, seriously. Well, and, like, there's multiple attacks, so it's happening, like, yeah. all over. So, like, you're uh. just, yeah, so scary. Um so the police were desperate to find him because they knew with how each attack was escalating that this person wasn't far away from murder either. Um, and then on his 17th rape victim, he either got too confident or sloppy and he attacked the woman from the front, which he hadn't done in the past. And so he had been attacking all of the women from behind. And so this girl, the last one was actually able to give the police a, a, a physical description. Oh yeah. She was able to see. So his face. that physical description looked a lot like this guy that people knew named Paul Bernard Fernando. Oh no. Um, yeah. So he was brought in for questioning along with a hundred plus other men, and they, the detectives described him as charming. He had a girlfriend. He gave his hair and saliva samples up to the police with like no fight or anything like that. And so they kind of didn't like. He wasn't like number one on their suspect list. Yeah. But. It was, in fact, he was, in fact, later identified as the Scarborough rapist, but not soon enough, because this was during the time where DNA samples, like, weren't, and forensic evidence wasn't, like, widely recognized, and, like, the samples that he had given sat on a shelf for two years. So they basically had him, but they didn't do anything with the DNA, so. Cool. Anyway, that will come into play later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so again, during this time though, during like those two years and stuff, Paul and Carla are together just in blissful couple world. They're engaged and they had been, and Paul had been spending a lot of time with her family and they all love him and get along with him super well. And, um, although Carla checked a lot of his boxes, he had a thing for virgin girls, which she wasn't. And that disappointed him. And so while he was spending all this time with Carla's family, he starts to develop a crush on Carla's younger sister, 15-year-old Tammy. He flirted with her and started to, like, sneak into her room and masturbate while she slept. Ew. Um, Yeah, there was one account where he ended up sneaking her beer and they got drunk together and made out. So he starts to pressure Carla into helping him arrange how he can take Tammy's virginity. So you would think that that would disgust you and this would be someone you break up with. But Carla actually decides that that would be the perfect Christmas gift for Paul. That is messed up. It is so messed up. So on December 23rd, this is six months before Carla and Paul's wedding. At Carla's house, with her parents uh, upstairs sleeping, they decide to drug Tammy with sleeping pills. Like, they had mixed it in with this, like, because they're all hanging out, but, like, so they give her this, like, spiked drink. Yeah. And then Carla had stolen this thing called, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but I think it's called Halothane. It's an an, an anesthetic from the vet clinic that she worked at. And when Tammy passed out from the drugged drink, they both undressed her and then Carla held a, the soaked rag with that anesthetic to her sister's mouth. Um, 
And so while she's unconscious, they begin to videotape themselves raping her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So then Tammy, then Tammy began to get sick and she started to choke on her own vomit. And she like becomes like, like, I don't know if she's unconscious, but she's like choking on her vomit and they can't, they try to revive her, but they can't. And she ends up dying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a family member. Change her clothes. Jeez. did the dishes in the, and this is all in the middle of the night too and they basically reported it to everyone that it was an accident and that she had died from alcohol poisoning and everyone bought it even though tammy like legit had a chemical burn on her face they what? all just accepted this story that carla and paul had given them <laughs> so carla and paul then move out of her parents house to let parents Uh, her parents grieved Tammy's death but not before they videotaped Carla wearing Tammy's clothes and pretending to be her what like what the fuck who are these people this yes so disgusting um so they're obviously like pretending like they're upset but as the months went on Carla actually started to get mad with her parents for taking so long to grieve Tammy's death Oh, I'm sorry. Because she wanted... What's that? I just said, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Our 15-year-old daughter tragically died. Yeah. Like, uh, they don't even know the half of it at that point. Like, what the hell? But but it's because Carla wanted, like, all of the attention back on her for her wedding and for them to get moving on the wedding plan. So uh, she ends up getting what she wants. The wedding went up... Went, Uh, ended up going as planned on June 29th of 1991 and something else actually happened that's that exact same day so while they're having their like princess fairy tale wedding the body of Leslie uh, Mahaffey 14 year old bodies was found in Lake Gibson by a fisherman Hmm. and another part of her body was discovered by a man in a canoe so this girl her body was dismembered and encased in cement However, some of the cement hadn't hardened yet, so it floated back up yeah. to the surface. Jeez. And so the police drained the lake and found the rest of her dismembered body encased in these cement blocks in eight pieces. Jeez. Yeah, so Leslie had gone missing from her home two weeks prior on kind of like a strange it was kind of a strange occurrence. One of her friends at school had passed away, so she was out with her friends mourning their loss. But her parents told her that if she came home late or, like, missed curfew, that the door would be locked, which is what exact, like, which is what happened. Yeah. People said normally Leslie had a key, but for this this specific time, she had must have forgotten it. And normally she would just ring the bell for her parents to let her in. But again, on this occasion, she decided not to. Yeah. So this is the same night that Paul had been on the prowl. He had earlier told Carla that he wanted to bring a girl home to have at his leisure, so he went out and did exactly that. He ran into Leslie, and she asked him if he had any cigarettes, and once they got back to his car, he blindfolded her and shoved her in. Um, Carla had been sleeping when she woke up, and and when Paul had brought uh, Leslie back to their house, and she was literally, she was furious with Paul, not because he had brought home this girl to basically rape at his leisure but because he had shared their wedding champagne flutes with her oh god yeah um but apparently she got over it for the because because the next 36 hours paul continuously abused leslie 
making her say degrading things that he had scripted. Um, one of the psychologists that had inter- like that was interviewed about this case later said that Paul couldn't even like keep an erection up during the assaults or rapes unless he was degrading and humiliating the women and essentially elevating himself. This dude is a mess. So you can only imagine like what he's putting this girl through. Yeah. Um, then once he was done with her, he strangled her and put her body in the basement. And then literally days after that, Carla's parents came over for dinner and Carla had to go in and out of the basement to get food and like wine and other stuff like that. Repeatedly, like repeatedly passing the body, but just acting so casual about it. Like it's no big deal. What the hell? Yeah. They, then Paul purchased a plastic tent and set it up in the basement to dismember Leslie and put her bodies in those blocks of cement. Um, and despite there being massive outreach from the community and so much media coverage about Leslie's murder and disappearance, the couple decided that they weren't done and they went out hunting for their next victim. Oh my gosh. So now this brings us to I Kristen just, Fry. I keep thinking about what our theme is and how these people are out of prison. Uh, yeah, we're like not, e- oh my yeah. god. Oh. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, <laughs> so creepy. Um, so Kristen French was 15 years old. She was smart, popular, described as very cautious because she had seen what had happened to Leslie and was actually known for, like, warning other kids in her grade to be aware of, like, their surroundings. However, on April 16th, 1992, Kristen was walking home from the school in broad daylight Carla and Paul saw her, and Carla got out of their car with a map pretending as if she was lost. So Kristen decided to go up and help her, but once she did, Carla grabbed her, and then Paul came up from behind, and they shoved her into the van. Um, They held her captive for the next three days, forced her to drink alcohol, raped and abused her, and then killed her. Jeez. Paul had strangled her, and then together they washed the body cut her hair which like why was they did carla later on says that it's because they wanted her to look different but lots of like psychologists feel like it was them keeping like a trophy yeah um they cut her hair dumped her body in the same cemetery that leslie was buried in and then they went over to carla's parents house for easter dinner oh my gosh So, after this murder, however, the couple's relationship started to deteriorate, and Paul started to abuse Carla, which pushed her over the edge. She had gone to the police to press charges against him for the abuse, and at the same time, that DNA sample, like, the DNA samples that had been taken from him in the Scarborough rapist case finally had been completed, and he was a match. So, when they asked Carla about it, she confirmed that he had confessed to her about the rapes. Um... They went to interview Paul about the rapes and the two murders, but he basically said that he wasn't going to tell the police shit. And that's, again, when they turned to Carla. Yeah. Uh, They didn't have much evidence against Paul for the murders, though, including Carla's sister, Tammy, which she was the one that brought that up and claimed she had also been claiming, you know, that she's just this battered wife. And he basically abused her and threatened her into never turning him in or like he would kill her. Um, so they decided they needed to make a deal with Carla so that they could use her testimony against Paul. So they made a bargain with her that she would only serve 12 years in prison for the rapes and murders. And then 
right before the trial, like all of this going down, new they had, new evidence had risen up. The police had found hidden in the ceiling of Carl, Carla and Paul's bathroom all of their home videotapes. Oh gosh, they had titles like Leslie Paul and me, or Kristen and Paul, or like different like different things like that, and they yeah. were all written in Carla's handwriting with like hearts and like flowers. Around oh my gosh. Them. And in the tapes, it's, like, plain as day that Carla was a willing participant and enjoying the rapes and, the, yeah. and abuse just as much as Paul was. So, including that they also had, they also videotaped the murder and rape her of, sister. like, her own sister. Yeah. But the police had already made this deal with Carla Pryor. So, Paul was sentenced to life in prison, which he is still there. Okay, good. And then Carla. But Carla only served 12 years. Jeez. She was released in July 2005, is remarried, and has three kids. The, and the guy who marries her, like, do you not know her past? Dude, he absolutely knows her past because it's like... A, Public record. It's like the brother of, like, her lawyer or something. Oh, my like, gosh. He... Yeah, it, it was something... I can't remember if it was, like, the actual lawyer or the brother. I think it was, like... A brother of one of her lawyers or yeah. something, but like he definitely he clearly knows. does. But it's just like uh, not a deal breaker, apparently. It's it's just crazy to and, think that to be able to get someone and have the evidence to put someone in prison, you have to offer the person who helped them a lesser time yeah. sentence. Like it's just Absolute, ridiculous. It's so crazy, and like because of like all the videotapes that had come out, like literally there was outrage. Be you know from oh, yeah. The people because of it and they're basically call it like the deal the police made a deal with the devil to essentially yeah. send paul away forever yeah and like how do you how her parents i'm sure they don't have a relationship anymore yeah i don't know i actually Gosh. didn't like i know there was a bunch of like uh there was a ton of argument with the case too because like people she was like trying and this kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier about them having amnesia uh, I can't say this word, anonymity, like just be, being anonymous, right? Yeah. Like she obviously wants, she obviously probably changed her name and stuff. Oh, yeah. And there was people fighting against that to not let her change her name. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know exactly what happened with it, but there were like conditions and stuff for her being released. Like obviously if she like was leaving town for any, like longer than 48 hours or like stuff like that, they had to, she had to let the police know and things like that but who knows like how long those circumstances were uh, set and different things but it's so crazy Jeez, that is crazy and when I was doing my research I actually found one that was pretty similar to this one yeah that Charlene lady yeah yeah but yeah I glossed over hers too I decided to switch it up and do something different for you guys (laughs) yeah and so with this one there's actually a movie Oh, really? Uh, like a TV, not, I don't know if, I don't think it's a TV movie or TV made movie. I just think it's a regular movie and it has the girl from Orange is the New Black and that 70s show. She like plays Carla. Do you know what I it's called? I've seen it forever ago, but I don't really remember it. Do you remember the name of it? I think it's just called Carla. Oh, okay. Like I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. So huh. look up that chick from Orange is the New Black and you'll and find it. Yeah, look through her. Wow, well, yep. there's a movie for you guys to watch. There you go. Yeah, some not very nice content. Yeah, seriously. All right. Well, 
my my murder is a little different and not as detailed, <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay. So my murder is actually the perfect example of someone who was let out of prison when they shouldn't have been. So my person is Richard Marquette. So there's not a lot of information on his childhood or anything, but I'm guessing it didn't go very well just (laughs) with how he was and his criminal background. But there are some details I do know. So Richard was born on December 12th, 1934 in Portland, Oregon. He was a high school dropout and spent some time in the army, but not very long. He actually ended up getting out of the army somehow as well. He has a lot of arrests in his criminal background, so his first arrest was in June of 1956 on a charge of attempted rape, but his victim actually dropped the charges and he was actually sent free after that. So there's one one case where he should have been caught and he wasn't. Uh, A few months later, he was arrested for disorderly conduct, conduct, but was released not long after. And then again in August of 1957, he attempted to rob a service station using a wrench, uh, but he only served 12 months for good behavior and was let out. So obviously this dude is got some issues. Yeah, and he's gotten lucky with all of his convictions, not yep. really like... Exactly. So that intent. besides that, there's not much more background as to why the way he was or what he did in his life or why he chose this life yeah. of crime. So we're just going to kind of jump right into the crimes that lead up to this murder. So on June 8th, 1961, Portland police received a call from a local housewife stating that her dog had brought home a human foot in a paper bag. Ew. So <laughs> when oh <my> <laughs> how creepy when the detectives show up to the woman's house, the dog had actually left and come back with a human hand. So I would lose my shit. I know. If Pongo or Zuko just walked in the house like holding just chilling like, like with this freaking human part. So gross. Yes. Oh so at this point, because this dog keeps bringing body parts back, the police decide to search the area around her house, and this is where they yeah. were able to find more body parts. So. The body that they found was pretty fresh, a fresh fish. Uh, but the odd thing was that they were all blood, blood dry, and no one attempted to bury them. So it was like they just placed them out to be found. Weird. Police then took the evidence back to be tested and ran it with some missing persons report. And this is where they were able to link the body parts to 23-year-old Joan Claude. So Joan was a 23-year-old housewife with and mother of two who had been reported missing by her husband. She had gone out shopping for Father's Day gifts but never actually returned. Um, After questioning around, a witness came forward and said that she had been uh, or she had seen Joan leaving a local bar with a strange man. Her husband said that Joan was not a heavy drinker, but he wasn't surprised that she was out because she was struggling a little bit lately because her mother was ill. So he wasn't surprised that she had stopped to take a drink. But obviously the fact that she had left with a strange man was obviously concerning. Yeah. So after further investigation, after looking into who was at the bar that night, they were able to find out that she had left the bar and they went to the house of Richard Marquette. Um, 
when they get to this house, there's no sign of Richard. So at this point, they know that he has kind of pieced out, which obviously mm. makes him not look good. So right. without his him being there, they decide to look through his house. So this is where they find the rest of the remains of Joan in his refrigerator. They had been butchered and wrapped just as if he had beat or bought meat from like a butcher shop. So I don't know if he was planning on eating it or what his plan was, but he left before any of that could happen. Yeah, what the hell? And then he's like throwing some of it out in the woods. Yeah. Like what? Okay. The parts he didn't want, I guess. Um, okay. Also found inside the house was some blood-stained lingerie that belonged to Joan. And the only thing they couldn't find at this point was her head. And to this day, I think like years and years, years later, they found it by a river. But like uh-huh. it had no links or anything to where any of the other body parts were. Weird. So, a week later, police found a cardboard box that was propped up against a garage door. The box contained two fingers, various internal organs, and a chunk of the of like a stomach. So when police obviously Ugh. ran these body parts, it was more body parts from Joan. So he just okay, I was scattered just about her. To ask if it was still her, yeah. or if there was another. So he just kept the parts he wanted in his fridge, and then just scattered the rest of it across the like the state. But he didn't do anything to hide it. It was like he wanted yeah. people to find these body parts. Yeah, traumatized this dog. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So, uh, it seemed that Richard, at this point, had run to a different state. So, they issued an arrest warrant and kind of spread it to the other states that were around Oregon. Um, And this is when a manhunt began to find him. The Oregon governor eventually stepped up and asked for the FBI's help just because... Obviously, at this point, he's not in Oregon, and they're going to need more help to find this guy. So, the FBI actually added them to the um, most wanted list, and he's number 11. And you can actually look up the most wanted list, and you can find him on there. No way. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't think, he's obviously not number 11 anymore, but you can find the previous most wanted list with him on it. Wow, that's um, crazy. So during, while all this has happened, Richard spent three weeks hitchhiking and taking buses around the U.S. all the way down to Mexico, or his plan was to go down to Mexico, but he was eventually caught in Santa Maria, California, in a salvage yard where he was just working some odd jobs to find some cash to make his way to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, when the agents showed up, they pretended that they were customers interested in buying parts, and they were able to kind of coax Richard outside to answer some questions. And this is when they were able to arrest him on the scene. So, oh my gosh, Richard claimed that he met Joan at the bar after the two had recognized each other from elementary school. So somehow they knew each other. Um, what? Yes, Richard Are you said <laughs> that the two spent the night bar hopping having a good time, and finally decided to end the night at his place. They went back to his house, had sex, and got drunk, or I should say they got more drunk, and then he ended up strangling her to death. Oh, my God. He had no car to to dispose of the body, so he eventually just decided to dismember her body in the shower. Um, He explained to police that he had no logical motive other than he was drunk and doesn't remember. Are you kidding me? That's like all he can. What the hell? Yeah. 
So, Richard was obviously arrested and was charged with first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. But obviously, yeah. this is not the end of our story. Like, how the F is this dude out? Yep. He literally, like, admitted to everything. Yeah, okay. yeah. and no motive, like... <laughs> So, no uh, motive, yeah. just decided to kill this lady. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, um, not that that makes a difference, but <laughs> yeah, still. Yeah, exactly. So 11 years later, Richard received parole and released from prison. He took a job as a plumber helper and found a place to live at a local mobile home with the help of his parole officer. So not long after this, in April of 1973, a fisherman discovered human remains floating in a shallow part of the river in Oregon. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yep. So, it wasn't just a one-time thing. <laughs> what do you know? So the corpse was the same of Joan. It had been bled dry. It was mutilated and dismembered before being dumped into this water. Uh, it was found that the remains were those of Betty Wilson, who was a 37-year-old woman from North Carolina. So Betty, her past, she had lived in poverty most of her life and got married at the age of 16. She had 11 children. Whoa. And they lived in an abandoned school bus at the edge of the city with no electricity or running water. So she had a rough life. So her, I don't know if this is her husband to all of her children or if this was a new boyfriend. I don't know. But it said that he was pretty abusive to her Uh and her children. So she ended up getting her children in foster care and she ended up running away. So this is when she gets to or or where um, Richard is. This is where she meets him. Gotcha. So, what happens next is, um, well, at first, Beth's husband was the initial suspect just because people knew that she had been, he had been beating her. Right. Um, yeah. But he was actually in North Carolina working at the time of the murder, and so they couldn't leak him. And so, at that point, he was not a suspect anymore. Gotcha. But because of the similarities in the bodies and the murder and how it happened, Richard became a suspect as well. So, they decided to obtain a search warrant, and this is when they decided to search inside uh, his mobile home. So, they uncovered several small pieces of physical evidence that tied him to the murder of Beth, which I'm guessing would be the same thing. They found her clothing, some of her body parts, things like that. So, 55 hours after Beth had been found, Richard was arrested. Richard pled guilty to the murder, saying that he brought Beth back to his home had sex with her, strangled her, and then dismembered her body. Uh, and so, sorry, had they been, like, hanging out, or was this just a fluke meeting? They met at, like, a club. Okay. So he just, it was the same thing. They met, they were having a good time, he brought her home, they had sex. and Yep. Yeah. So, while confessing the murder, or to the murder of Betty, Richard also confessed to the murder of another woman in 1974. He, it's oh the same God. scenario. He met this woman at a bar or somewhere, convinced her to come to his home, choked her to death, and dismembered her body. He took the detectives to two shallow graves where he had disposed of the body. Um, but again, it was the same situation with Joan where there was no head found. Ugh. So after all of this, he was sentenced to life in prison again without the possibility of parole this time. And he's currently incarcerated at the Oregon State Penitentiary. So this is they like got it right, the perfect example of oh why God. we don't parole killers because they like potentially would do it again, you know? Yeah. 
So, well, and that's just crazy because that's literally just the one he decided to admit yep. to. You, there could be so many more. Oh, exactly. And if you're interested, True Crime Auction House, which I find it so funny that it has this, but they have an actually handwritten letter from Richard talking about his life in prison, and you can buy it for fifty dollars. <laughs> what? It's so weird. Are you serious? Yeah. That so, is so weird. I mean, if you're a fan, after this episode, there you go. God. I've never looked at the stuff that they have on there. We should do an episode where we kind of go through and look at the things on that on yeah. the website. That'd be interesting. From what I've seen, it's like handwritten letters or signed photographs and things like that. But I bet you there's is some interesting things. Is it like things. them trying to make money? Like, is it like prisoners trying to make more like money from like auctioning their stuff? I, I guess I don't know, but. I mean, you can write these, like, any prisoner that's currently in prison, you can write them, and sometimes they will write back. Creepy. It's so creepy. Creepy, creepy. But there you have it. There's some killers out of prison that clearly should not be. That is surreal. Hennessy's meowing. He's he's excited about it. (laughs) Hennessy's outraged. He's outraged. He's so upset. But there you guys have it. I mean, if you maybe check your neighbors, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Because it could be a killer out of prison. Watch the people you hang out with or who you go home with. Yep. There you go. There you go. That's a good takeaway. But maybe just for now, have a good week. (laughs) Yeah. There's a start. Yeah. And then, like we said, we'll hit you with another episode this month. Yep. And then in the meantime, just catch up on old episodes. Absolutely. Hit us up with new ideas or themes. Uh, or any crazy murder stories that you've heard. We're always interested into looking news into stuff like that. So absolutely. There we go. All right, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Friends, Two Murders. Go follow us on Instagram at Two Friends, Two Murders podcast. Episodes are available on both Apple Podcast and Buzzsprout. Don't forget to go leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via Instagram or email us at twofriendstwomurderspodcast at gmail.com.